With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Canes Country Podcast, Episode 2. We have a busy, busy show today. We're really excited about it. Here today, my name is Brett Finger, senior writer at CanesCountry.com. I'm joined by Justin Lape and Kyle Morton once again, like in week one. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing wonderful. It's a beautiful Thursday. Let's get started. I'm doing well. Uh, but I must say, in the interest of full transparency, you know, we here at the Canes Country Podcast, just like America's First Family, are all about transparency. Uh, so we did have a whole episode ready to record last night, but beyond the slave and contract, we had nothing to talk about. In all honesty, we were ready to do a 10 minute segment about Kid Rock, who is, as you know, a, hur- or a noted Hurricanes bandwagon fan, uh, potentially running for Senate. Uh, so we're glad that things have unfolded the way they have today so that we actually have something interesting to talk about. And I think we should get right into it. Chuck Greenberg. Reports suggest that he is going to purchase the Carolina Hurricanes for $500 million. That's north of double what Forbes listed them at just a year ago. Kyle, does this put an end to potentially all this relocation talk? No, it doesn't. Because uh, the people of Quebec City and their hockey fans are spineless vultures uh, who will look for (laughs) clues and signs and whatever they want to read into the tea leaves into thinking that they're going to get their team back. Uh, And I'm sure they're going to convince themselves that no matter what's reported, Chuck Greenberg is fully committed to moving the Hurricanes to Quebec on like a five-year timeline. So I'm sure we'll be reading about that soon. Uh, But I will say that any relocation rumors will no longer have any rooting in reality, uh, which is something that, you know, we maybe couldn't have really said that for the last year and a half. So that's definitely a good thing. This organization, this fan base, has had to go through this endless, tiring narrative for years. And since Carmanis has opened it up and said, hey, I want to sell, it's just been nonstop. And that's so taxing on, on, a, on an organization and its fan base. And to see that, hopefully, unless something goes real wrong with uh, Chuck Greenberg and the negotiations here, it looks like that's finally going to come to an end. It seems... His plan is to stay in Raleigh. He's not going to move. Um, and that's just that's a huge weight, I think, off of a lot of people. Now that you know there's some clarity to the ownership situation, and by all accounts, it looks like he's going to be a really good fit. Justin, how do you feel about it? Well, from like the early reports, I, I think you can see that he's supposedly fan-friendly, and I think that's really the type of owner we need here. I think we have a very strong fan base when it comes to connectivity, and to have that kind of connect with an owner would be really good for the team. I do think we need to stress that this is going to be a very long process uh, and that nothing is ever set in stone. Uh, I mean, over the last decade almost, we've watched the Arizona Coyotes kind of go through this and have report after report that they were being sold. Uh, but fortunately for this team, this franchise, and our fan base here, uh, this does seem 
pretty credible and uh, there's a lot of signs uh, beyond what's being reported that this is actually on track toward happening, which is encouraging. But uh, just important to note that nothing is really a done deal until it's the ink is drying on the paper. And perhaps the most encouraging part of this is that Don Waddell, Hurricanes president, came out and acknowledged that, yes, the, there was an offer on the table. And he also clarified that if the deal was to go through, the Canes would stay in Raleigh. So to get that kind of that transparency from the organization beyond the 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 official statement of the team, which is you can view that however you want, is very diplomatic um, as as it should be. That's kind of comforting, is it not? Yeah, I think for sure that's comforting. I mean, we've lived with a lot of uncertainty when it comes to ownership. I mean you get a report out of Canada at least every off-season about relocation, relocation, relocation. So to have an, an owner that wants to be here, it, it's it's comforting for sure. And I think it's kind of funny how even, even in this bright moment that's kind of proof of the value of this franchise and the desirability of it uh, to be an asset as a business to someone like uh, Mr. Greenberg, that... Uh, the Hockey Night in Canada Twitter account uh, tweeted out the uh, Sportsnet article uh, with the headline and the tweet reading, Struggling Hurricanes Sell for $500 Million, uh, which is just funny because, you know, the Forbes valuation from a couple years ago was in uh, the $240 million neighborhood. Uh, obviously, you know, attendance was what it was this year, but it just feels like you know, Canada and the Canadian media will take any opportunity they have to take a shot at this team. Uh, and I'm just glad that that can, at least on some level, stop hopefully soon. But yeah, as, as you know, you guys mentioned earlier, it's something you're going to have to be patient with. This is going to be a long process. This news, I mean, first of all, it's not completely confirmed yet, but I, I think it's it's something that's going to take a while. So patience is definitely key. Now, some on-ice news and some very exciting on-ice news. Jacob Slavin received a seven-year contract extension. That will go into effect in the 2018-19 season. Seven years, $37.1 million, a 5.3 AAV on that. Kyle, this is a beautiful deal. Tell us why. Uh, because Slavin is a high-end number one defenseman already in this league. Uh, and Francis was smart enough, and luckily for the team, Slavin was willing to agree to this deal. Uh with one year left on his entry-level contract still, you know, from Slavin's perspective, he could have easily said, you know, if I play one more year like I just played the last year, I could be looking at 6 or $7 million on my next deal. But uh, he and Francis, I guess, both wanted to get this done and out of the way now, and I think that's a good thing because it certainly kept the cap hit down. Uh, I think the term is very team-friendly. You know, I don't think Slavin's the type of player who's going to fall off uh, in his late 20s like some defensemen are doing now. I just don't see that. Uh, based on his playing style and skill set. Uh, and I thought it was also interesting how universally well-regarded uh, that signing was yesterday because we always talk about Slavin as someone who doesn't really get his due and as someone who's one of the more underrated players around the league. Uh, but pretty much everyone from almost every corner of the hockey universe, uh, I know there was a guy in Edmonton who wasn't so high on it, but <laughs> but um, all of analytics, Twitter, all of NHL Twitter was gung-ho about this for the Canes, and that was cool to see. Uh, because Slavin is definitely a guy who deserves all the recognition that he's going to start to get now. I think the big part of this deal is cutting out UFA years. I mean, I think this contract goes into what until he's 31, I believe. If I'm, I don't know, back me up That's on that. Right. But That's right. 
Um, so that's that's really big, and especially at the cap hit he'll have moving forward, that gives the team flexibility to make other moves. And you know, as Kyle said, he is probably, if not the first best player on this team in terms of defense, he's definitely number two. Um, but that gives them the flexibility to move a guy like Falk or Hannafin if that ever comes up. You know, they're definitely high up on the rumor mill, but uh, I, I really like this deal. It's good for the team. It's good for the player. So, and it's good for the fans. Yeah, and I think with this deal, you you get kind of a cornerstone player, which is how Ron Francis described him. He's a player that you know what you're going to get. This is a guy in Slavin who never has an off night. Every night he brings it um, in all aspects of his game. Um, he guy he doesn't make mistakes, and he's effective at both sides of the ice. I think the character that he has as an individual, as a hockey player, kind of shows here because going back to what Kyle said, he could have waited and got more money. But instead he decided that, hey, this is where I want to be. This is the team that I can see winning with. Um, this is an organization that obviously values their young players, and I think he saw that and he was more willing to take the longer deal with with less money because he would have gotten more money if he had if he had waited out and maybe even hit UFA earlier than than he's going to. Yeah, I definitely pretty much agree with all of that. Um, it definitely is really reflective of his character and how uh, the organization feels about his character that they were willing uh, to commit to him for such a long period of time. One discussion that I do think this kind this contract kind of leads to though. Uh, is actually the salary cap and where this team is going in terms of having to confront issues with the salary cap because you look at the young defenseman, you know, Slavin's locked in at 5.3 now. Falk is in the 4.8 range for the next three years. Uh, but after this season, Brett Pesci and Noah Hannafin are up, and those are contracts that are going to have to be taken care of at some point. And you also have Elias Lindholm to deal with up front after this year. Uh, in two years, you'll have Tara Vinen, Sebastian Ajo, and Jeff Skinner uh, up for new deals. So there's a lot of guys on this roster who are going to be due raises. So with those four defensemen and then the group of forwards that are going to need new contracts and new raises soon, even if this team becomes a cap team under new ownership, you're getting to a point where you might have to worry about losing someone as a cap casualty, which is a, a weird and unique position for this team that they haven't been in in a very long time. Absolutely, and I think you look at the two people who kind of stand out to me the most right now are the, the two other defensemen, Pesci and Hannafin, because the it's great that they got Slavin out of the way so quickly, but these two, I think, are going to take more time, especially Noah Hannafin, because you saw his struggles in his first two years, and then you saw down the stretch last year, his game really elevated with, with Hainsey out in Pittsburgh, and he got a bigger role, and he played really well, so... To expect other contract extensions from, from Pesci and Hannafin this offseason might be a little bit, you know, reaching maybe. Especially on Hannafin's case again, because I think he has so much more to prove this year as opposed to Pesci. I think I have to imagine Pesci's deal is already being talked about given how well he's played alongside alongside Slavin over the past two years. But Hannafin, I think, is a, a little bit of an interesting story because he can take that a big step this year if the development falls the right way. And yes, with Slavin being added, you'll have five players heading into the 2019-20 season that are going to be under contract. That's Stahl, Rass, Darling, Falk, and now Slavin. So 
and this kind of ties into what you saw this offseason where, you know, everyone's pressing so hard. We want Duchesne. We want Duchesne. But, you know, Francis came out and says, hey, he's only has two years left because in the next two years, we have some big decisions to make contract wise. I mean, a lot of this core needs either bridge deals or long term deals. I mean, especially the one I look at mo- the most is Skinner. Um, but it, it's some tough decisions. But the thing is, the decisions we make now can affect us down the line. And I think it just speaks to how important it is to win this year and next year before you have to make a lot of those tough decisions. So you can't really be in a situation where you haven't made the playoffs once with this core when you're two years from now trying to decide how much money you want to commit to certain players that are in that core. You need to know that this core can win and can at least make the playoffs uh, before you can make those decisions in a, what I see as a clear, objective way. Absolutely. And, you know, these next two years are going to be big years because you have, again, Skinner, two more years of Skinner. Justin Williams is under a contract for two years. Marcus Kruger is under a contract for two years. And Kruger and Williams aren't rebuild players. They're win-now players. Um you look at what they can give you in the short term as opposed to the long term. So if you're trying to win now, you have to. And if by the end of the two years you're not winning, then there's there's a huge, there's another big problem. Again, like you said, the next two years are going to be very important for this team and how they view their future and where they want to go. Yeah, the rebuild was over. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, still, it's still a very young team with a lot of prospects in the pipeline, but this isn't a rebuilding team anymore. This is a team that needs to win and they need to win now. And I think I think the moves Francis made this offseason, bringing in Kruger, bringing in Williams, bringing in Darling, instead of maybe letting you know some younger players fight out for those spots, you know the Walmarts, the Zikovs of the world. I think that's pretty reflective that he understands that he understands that he has to win in this window where he has a top four defense unit that's one of the best in the league and also happens to cost less than seven million dollars. Ron Francis is a smart man. I think he's really put himself in this organization in a real good spot entering this upcoming year. Speaking of being in a good spot, the Charlotte Checkers look good. And uh, Justin, you were at the Bojangles Coliseum today for the Mike Volushi press conference. He was named the head coach of the Charlotte Checkers. Of course, he's also the assistant general manager to Ron Francis in the big club. So what was your experience like today, Justin? How did it all go? Well, I first and foremost, I think Mike is going to be a great fit down in Charlotte. Um, he's a guy that he was head coach of the Plymouth Whalers from 2001 to 2014. So he has that experience dealing with young guys and, you know, being the assistant general manager and director of hockey operations. He is big on young players and everything he had to say today was pretty positive. Um, one of the big questions I asked him was I noticed, you know, as you guys may have know. Podorowski was a guy that had a huge year um, and I asked him, you know, hey, what what are some potential breakout candidates this year? And I mean, he can't rave enough about the young guys like Gautier and Fogel and Waugh. Um, so I think this is a very good move for Charlotte. And again, it's it there's going to be some learning curves for sure with all those players coming in. But it, this is as they, as both Ron Francis and uh, Mike said, this is one of the most talented teams that Charlotte has ever had. Yeah, and I really like the line of communication between Ron Francis and Mike Felucci. Obviously, they already have a relationship, and they see players in a very similar light. So 
with him being down there and getting a good look at guys like Warren Fogel and Nikola Waugh and Yanni Kukinen, Lucas Walmark, Julian Gauthier, that's going to be huge because they see what they're trying to build and Volucci's input on you know who makes jumps and who's ready to play at the next level I think is going to be really valuable. Yeah, and one of the things he spoke about today was also that you know, eight or nine guys in Charlotte could press for that, you know, any open spot in Raleigh. So it, it it's really interesting that he has that much confidence in some of these young players. Yeah, and when you look at the roster, there's just so much young talent. And like you like you said and how, how they said earlier, there's this is one of the best teams that Charlotte's ever put together. And I think you're finally starting to see the 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 professional level teams like Charlotte and Carolina reaping the benefits of smart drafting and making smart decisions specifically from Ron Francis and how he's been able to navigate his way to a really successful rebuild and I think we're about to you know reap the benefits of of all that hard work he's put in because this team looks stellar really good one guy that I don't think you guys mentioned I may have not heard right but uh one guy that I think is definitely worth watching down there, in addition to, you know, Sarola, Wah, Gauthier, Fogel, uh, is Yanni Kukinen. Uh, he was very, very impressive at the prospect camp. Uh, he's just a really skilled guy. Seems like he has a good understanding of the game. Uh, but he's definitely someone I would look out uh, to have a breakout year in Charlotte. Uh, but I do have one question about how the checkers run things. Uh, I, know, I know the arena is named after Bojangles, but... Uh, Justin, I know you've covered games there before. Is the media meal actually Bojangles there? Because if it is, I might I might want to look into relocating. <laughs> actually, it's really funny you mentioned that because normally the meal is not. But today during the press conference, they had chicken tenders from Bojangles. Wow. Wow. Big time. Yeah. And it, it was pretty beautiful. They had seasoned fries and everything. So, uh, yeah, I think i'm gonna gain 20 pounds this year what what i like about um what i like about just like still shots of the uh, arena uh when you walk in i've, I've never been to bojangles coliseum but they really brand the hell out of bojangles huh there that that logo is all over the place and that just makes me hungry i i, 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 I oh, come yeah. to watch hockey i don't want to come to eat food but i will if it has to happen yeah they definitely brand it really well um but in the Coliseum, it's got such a great atmosphere, too. Um, the renovations look great, and I think that's very important this year, especially because um, the Checkers' schedule favors fans, first and foremost, especially anybody in Raleigh. Uh, 24 of the Checkers' 38 home games will be on either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So between the talent on this team and the favorable schedule, I I definitely think it's worth for fans to take a look at some of the guys in Charlotte. And yeah, and just looking at this roster, you're going to see a lot of these players in 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 Raleigh sooner rather than later. So if you want to get a head start on them, you should definitely go down there. That's a really exciting roster. Yeah, and first and foremost, I mean, it's a young roster and this schedule definitely favors them. Um there's breaks in there. There's you know, there's a tough road trip at the beginning where you got, I think, what is it, eight games on the road in November. So it's going to be an early test for them. But overall, looking at the schedule, it's good for a young roster. Speaking of young rosters, or I guess what used to be young rosters, uh, Tyler Johnson of the Tampa Bay Lightning signed a seven-year, 
a contract worth $5 million on an annual basis. Uh, I was a little surprised at that term, given that he's 26 years old already. Uh, but I, I guess I did figure that he would make a little more money annually than that. So I guess it was one of those situations where Tampa gave him maybe a year or two longer than they would have liked. Uh, but and as a result of that, they got to drive the cap hit down. Uh, but looking through their cap friendly page, they got a lot of decisions to make. Uh, Callahan is taking up $5.8 million for the next three years. Alex Kalorn is taking up four point four five for the next six. Uh, what do you guys make of that situation? One name that kind of sticks out a lot to me on, on this Tampa roster is Nikita Kucherov because he absolutely had an incredible year this past season. And if his goal totals stay consistently in the 40s, then he's going to be a guy that is going to demand a huge contract. He's an RFA after the 2018-19 season, and there's a lot of contracts that are still going to be on the books. Kaloran, Johnson, Stamkos is going to be there too. Hopefully, for their sake, he can stay healthy. Um, but even in the short term, there are some some interesting contracts because I didn't really expect a guy like Chris Kunitz to get $2 million from Tampa. Him, Dan Girardi got $3 million. There's some really questionable contracts here that might not necessarily interfere with guys like Kucherov, but there there's some there's some questions in my head as to how they're running this. And um, I guess only time will tell. Let me ask you guys this. With all these long-term deals on the books, is Steve Eiserman as smart a GM as people make him out to be? No, he is not. Uh, that was one thing I've kind of been tooting the horn of on Twitter a little bit recently. Uh, but, I mean, good Lord. Um Andre Schuster at just under $2 million a year. Uh, he has a reputation as being a good young defenseman, but he's not. Uh, then Dan Girardi for two years at $3 million a year. That's bad. Uh, he's still got two more years of Braden Coburn at $3.7 million a year. Uh, with Iserman, it's not that he's a bad GM. It's just that he doesn't really deserve the reputation as some sort of wizard that he gets sometimes. Uh, it's, it's more of a mixed bag sort of deal. Like, you know, you have Coburn and Girardi, but then you do have that Anton Strahlman contract that looks really nice. And I think that Hedman at 7.8 is going to look really good uh, in a few years, especially with the way contracts are heading now. Uh, but yeah, and then you have that Kalorn contract, and the Stamkos contract looks pretty good. The Callahan contract looks really bad. Uh, the Johnson contract looks all right. Uh, Kucherov is going to be interesting, as Brett mentioned. I think he might... I wouldn't be shocked to see him pushing the 11 million number, uh, especially with two more years to add to his value. Uh, if McDavid just set the market at 12 and a half, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really high on Nikita Kucherov, and I would not be surprised if he comes in between 10 and 11 on his next deal. Uh, I think he's that good. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it with Iserman. I think he's all right, just, just all right. I don't, I don't see how he ever really got the you know the title of like a deity you know i mean a lot of people hold him in high regard and it's not like he's a bad general manager but he's not as great as what people are saying because you look at some of these deals and some of them don't make sense they have a lot of money caught up in a lot of players that are not worth the money and then with again with kucherov expiring there's just there's a lot of questions that i have about eiserman and how he's running this thing and the big deal that stands out for me this offseason with Eisenman was trading Jonathan Drouin. I mean, I think he gave up a little too early on a talented young guy. 
Druin, for me, that deal is really difficult to judge for me. I It could go a lot of different ways. Uh, Druin did have 53 points in 73 games this year, which is great. Uh, but his underlying numbers uh, throughout his career haven't been all that great. He doesn't really drive play that well. His even strength scoring rate is not that impressive. Uh, and he, he doesn't really generate high-quality chances that well. But... Uh, obviously, anytime you turn turn on a game and he's playing, he'll he'll blow you away with like his puck moving ability and his distribution ability. So he's definitely a guy who could develop into the player that I think some people see him as now. Uh, but it, I do think at the same time that the value he had around the league maybe was a little bit more than what he got. And I think Mikhail Sergachev is a great prospect, and I would not be surprised to see him develop into a top-pairing guy at all. Uh, but he's a big question mark right now. He's a prospect. He hasn't played an NHL game yet. Uh, he has a lot of value, but Drew Ann has proven more than he has. Uh, but ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa actually win that deal, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see Drew Ann turn into a 70-point forward while Sergachev struggles to play top four minutes. It's, it's one of those things that could go either way. It's going to take time to kind of form a, form a full opinion on who won that one. What is interesting to me about all this with Drew I think the trade makes it very clear that they did not forget the antics that he pulled a couple years ago. I think that after he came back and he played pretty well this past year, I think a lot of people kind of just forgot about it. And I don't think Eisenman ever did. So I think when you, when you, when you have that into consideration, I really like the return for, for Drew I think Sergeyev is going to be real good. I, from everything that I've seen about him, he looks like a real deal prospect. And if you add him to that blue line, I think that's what Tampa really needed. So with Stamkos coming back into the fold this year after being hurt, you get that offensive fire, offensive firepower that you lose from Drew back from Stamkos. And if Sergeyev pans out to be, you know, a, a, an NHL regular this year, I think this is a trade that really helps Tampa Bay down and down like the long haul because you're also avoiding giving Drewen a huge contract like you're going to have to do to Kucherov. Not on the same levels, but again, you ha- you're going to have to give Drewen that contract extension. And I think avoiding that, that money might have been a smart move. But in terms of the antics and things of that nature, does that make him a good fit in such a brutal hockey market like Montreal? I think he's going to be a good fit and I think when they now that they've lost Radulov and he went to Dallas, they if they didn't get Drew in, they'd be in a lot of trouble because this is already a team that can score very good or score very well. And then you add Drew in, it's not an upgrade over Radulov because his numbers last year, just in terms of point production, they were very similar between Radulov and Drew in. So if you swap it out I think Montreal, they desperately needed Drewen without Radulov in the fold, but I don't think it's a huge upgrade. It, it, Long term, it, it, I think it is an upgrade, of course, over Radulov, who's a little bit older, but there's a lot to consider there. Perhaps a player a little bit older than Drewen that I think is a really interesting discussion is Jeremy Yager. So he just finished up his contract in Florida. This past year, he had 46 points, which is down from 66 the year before, but he did play all 82 games. And this is a guy that remains unsigned across the league. Last we heard, he wasn't even getting any calls. So, Kyle, will Yagamir Yager be in the league this year? 
I think he should be. I, I would like him to be. Uh, he's sitting at 1,914 points right now. Uh, so he's 86 points away from hitting the 2,000 mark. So the way he's going right now, uh, that's two seasons worth of production away from hitting that milestone. And I think that would be awesome to see. Uh, and just even beyond, you know, historic or milestone value, I think he still brings a lot to a team. Uh, he can teach young guys. He can produce. He can keep a locker room light, I assume. Obviously, I mean, I don't have any like specific insight into that, but he seems like the type of guy who would be able to do that. And I think there's a lot of like potential homes for him. Like, I don't see any reason why a team like the Penguins wouldn't give him a call uh, just to see what he would sign for. Uh, obviously, a lot of people would think it would be cool to see him back in Pittsburgh. Uh, but there's other teams beyond that. I mean, any number of teams could add a veteran scorer. Uh, Washington, Los Angeles, Boston. Uh, I mean, he's been around. There's There doesn't really seem to be anywhere that he wouldn't play. Uh, and there's a lot of teams that should be willing to give him a shot. So I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been any news on that front yet. I am too. And I think, again, there are a lot of teams that could really use him. And even a team we just talked about, like Montreal, they can add scoring on the wing. And having him in that locker room with a guy like Alchenyuk and Drouin, I mean, that has to benefit them beyond the on-ice stuff. Because I think with Galchenyuk and Drouin, there's there's this stigma about them that they're immature with both of them. And maybe bringing in a guy like Yager, who's been there, done that in every sense of the word, in regards to playing hockey, I can't imagine how that would be a negative addition. And at this point, he's not going to be demanding a lot of money. It just looks like he just wants to play. Yeah, I feel like he would be a good fit with a young team, but I think one young team that he wouldn't be with is us. I don't see how where he fits in our lineup, but I think it would be great to get him with a group of young guys, kind of help mold them a little bit but he's still a productive player uh you know in 2015-16 he had 66 points i mean he had the 20 point drop off last year you know only 46 but i mean he's producing 46 points at 44 years old i mean this guy is unbelievable and last year despite his numbers dropping he drove play really well he had a great Corsi share a great goal share i mean this is He's not a liability on the ice. And kind of circling back, because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter you know, talking about this, he's not a fit here. And I think the biggest thing that scares me about Yager at this point is his foot speed. He's, yes, his production is still pretty good, but I question how effectively he can keep up with the rest of a team that's particularly young and trying to win. And we saw in Florida... Down the stretches of seasons, it was pretty clear that, you know, he is a guy who, you know, he'll get tired. He's 45. So, of course, he's not going to be electric all the way through the year. And even his playoff goal totals, since the 2011-2012 playoffs, he has one playoff goal. And that was with Philly. Since then, he's played in 39 playoff games, only one goal. So, obviously, I think you look at it and you see that, okay, this is a guy that, obviously, he's not what he was 10 years ago. He's not going to, you know, have that kind of endurance down the stretch that I think a lot of playoff teams might want. But, I mean, hey, you give him, give him a couple games off, hang into the playoffs, maybe he's an effective player. 
Well, thank you for bringing that up about the playoffs. Uh, I actually didn't know that. Uh, and now I'm glad that I know that he is a playoff choker who doesn't know how to win or get it done when it matters. Loser. So, you know, I've actually changed my mind. I don't think he belongs anywhere near this league. I'm being completely serious. Uh, if you can't score in the playoffs, what good are you? You're garbage <laughs> is what you are. That's the official stance of the Canes Country podcast. Yaramir Yager is garbage. He's actually bad, folks. Bad player. I'm glad we settled that. Glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> That's our big hot take for the episode. Uh, is this a good place to wrap up? Well, now seems like just about as good a time as ever. Two podcasts in the books. I think we're doing pretty well. How you guys feel about it? I feel good. We're growing at an alarming rate. Uh, most of us have been alive for about 20 years, and we've done two podcasts now. So that means by the time we're in our 40s, we'll have four episodes out. Uh, so just just off that growth rate, I think we can cultivate a real audience here. And I'm excited, honestly. And for me, I think uh, I just hope the Canes keep coming out with news so it keeps us employed because we're getting paid for this, right? That's my understanding. That's I believe so. We're going to have to we'll have to, we'll, we'll to, have to, we'll have to check in with Brian and the higher ups guys. Thanks for joining us this week on the Canes Country Podcast. We'll be back next week with so much more great content. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Woo! Feel good? It's good. I liked it. I want to do the whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs>